I like it. Needs a, some tweaks. I like it. Let's see. We need we need additional lighting. Where's makeup? Makeup! Makeup. Makeup. Oh, that's a is that a live video of a cat? I thought that was a picture. It's really to fill time for John to all of a sudden appear and say, Oh, here's my my slides. Let's do this. Yeah, I know nothing about sock. I I'm glad I'm here though. Yeah. It stands for... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I absolutely um, know nothing about sock either, really. We can really pull the audience in. There we go. Yeah. Look at that. There you go. Analyze that sock. (laughs) What kind of socks are those? Are those like the super durable ones, CJ? They're pretty durable. These are from Murdoch's, which is a feed store. So they are... (laughs) They sell feed? Feed store sounds gross. Can you call it like a... (laughs) Like a foot accessory no, it's good. or something? It's good. I changed that's, this that's a weird flex. Is that like a good usage or not? Like, the re- uh, uh, it's like flex. flex. It's okay. Well done. Need some, need some work. <laughs> you know, now now that you now that you say you don't like something, Deb, it's all uh, that's gonna happen, right? So yeah, business so meeting. The broadcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen only mode. Jason. Oh boy. Who did it? Am I my hands are up here. I'm good. I don't I don't even know what to do with my I hands. was I was only touching my mouse. It's Brian Strand. Keep them in here, man. Keep the hands in. We checked we checked all the equipment, everything's good. We can talk to the people. Oh, okay. Forty three people? Pipples? I don't know which people who show up this early. Like, I just want to hug the people that show up this early. You're like, come here. <laughs> socially, socially distance hug. Right? So lonely. So lonely. Yeah, like right up in there, Brian. Right no up mask, in there. No Get in there. Get in there. Right in there. Come on, man. Come on. Come on. Come on. You in there? 45 seconds. 45 seconds. So we have a um, sizable rowdy panel, people, today. <laughs> True. You, know, you, you could apply the five-second rule that, that comes to dropping food on the floor to hugs as well. Jason, I hear that works. I hear that works. Not near not- uh, COVID, you can't. Yes, <laughs> you got to reverse it. It's an inverse relationship. With yeah, it's, yeah, it's right. <laughs> I have to be around you less five seconds less every day. That's 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 the rule. So from now on, when I next time I see Deb, I'm going to hug her until she's uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's well, that's right away. CJ's very incredibly. It varies per person. Definitely varies per person. CJ, you got like three seconds, maybe, and I'm like three seconds. I'm, it also, I'm a three-second man. It also varies by situation, right? If it's a sad yes. situation, longer hugs are more acceptable. Absolutely. If it's like, uh, hey, I haven't seen you in a while, you got to do the quick, mm-hmm. and then you're done, right? Because you, you don't want to be too emotional. That's maybe just a guy thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it's a guy thing. It's just a guy thing. Yeah. Yeah. So on a sad thing, like, like when you've spilled your beer, you can hug for like five minutes. Bro. Five minutes, yeah. <laughs> what I don't like are the ones that are the hugs, and then they just they, they keep the arms on you, and they just like lean back, and then you're like you're like right here, and they want to talk to you. Like, how you doing? How's you don't talk during a hug. No. Good. You doing good? Like, <laughs> who hugs you like that? That's what I want to know. <laughs> like, my dad. I'm my dad. dad. Got it. Right. I just want to make sure. All right, that's cool. Let me pull the illustrious panel for a minute. Is yep. flex Do it. a word that comes from the millennial generation, or is it more a Z generation uh, invention? I don't even know what those two things are. Definitely <laughs> Z or the X. Z or- no, no, it you doesn't come from X. There's no way it comes uh, from X. So, I mean, so Jason, 
If okay. you look at CJ and yes. me, we are squarely in the uh, X generation, and there is no flexing going on back <laughs> in the X's, right? Uh, going I have some bad now. news for you, Joffrey. Oh, don't do it. Don't do I it. Have, I have some really don't bad news. Don't put the news. guns away. Keep the guns away. We don't want to scare the children. <laughs> I am in the baby boomer generation, according yeah. to most of Oh, well, I okay. thought you were going to start competing. I thought you were going to start flexing for us, CJ. I was worried. The, uh, the uh, only X that's flexing here is me. X then. and flex, baby. Um, I'm a Jason, Jason and I are at the end of the Gen Xers. I'm an elder millennial. I knew I loved you guys. Yeah, that's right, Ryan. Elder millennial. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a millennial as well. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I never thought I was a millennial until someone came up with like strict like years. Like, oh, you're born this year, and you're so I'm like I'm like right. I'm like the oldest you can possibly be for a millennial, yeah. and I really don't like it. Don't. <laughs> I, I do a think it's overlap with uh, Gen X. I think when, when you read about that's people being millennial. Your people that are, that are uh, on the whoa, boundaries, whoa. You're whoa. Not, you pretty much uh, fell into the crack, uh, right? So there's no there's no hope for you. Sorry. Okay, sorry. boomer. Okay. Boomer. <laughs> oh. no, no, when, you, when you say boomer, you've got to address that to CJ. Because oh, that's a millennial well, thing to say. Your people reference, I have to throw out the okay boomer at you. It's a <laughs> topic of conversation. This is not the webcast. This is not the webcast. This is the last webcast that we're ever going to do as a company. Is it, is it the, isn't the boomer generation supposed to look at the camera? Is this thing on? <laughs> no, it's it's the, bot, it's the button down below. Why is this not working? You know what? It's, it's always the sales guy that you give the, the, the maximum amount of crap to. I mean, that's just the way. I'm about to use my superpower. Oh, no. You're going to end the webinar? I'm going to try to get it out of this. You've done, you've done, you've done comedy or attempted, excuse me. And shots fire. I'm talking about my intelligence that way. Yes, the brother of the owner of the company, please keep going. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, as far as the using the flex things over and over again, what is the rule of three? You know what that is? Have you heard of the rule of three? Yes. Yeah, it's, uh, it's well, in a speech you normally give three topics, one something, but in a joke you normally bring it back. It's like you, three times. You start with it, you uh-huh. somewhere in the middle, and then you close with it. So with Ralph's thing of doing it like yeah. ten times, when does it get funny again? So it's called a running gag at that point. So yeah. Okay. Running gag. That's and okay. Then, that- yeah, so that's a difference. So that's a running gag, something that you keep doing over until t- you beat it into the ground like a dead horse. Then it becomes funny. Mm. Then it becomes uh, funny again. And that, that I wasn't trying to hit. I wasn't trying to be mean to Ralph there because there I was trying to figure out what exactly it was because my wife does improv, mm-hmm. and I, I knew that there was something that you call that you do the three and then you keep going. And it's not funny. It's not funny. Right. It's not, and then all of a sudden, okay, yeah, now it's funny again. So it's running. <laughs> somebody, <laughs> somebody else, literally. Said, uh, this is better than that time we said what drugs were popular from which state. <laughs> which state? <laughs> <laughs> better than that? Because we definitely have we have all of them, Jason. Yeah. Where'd you guys source oh, that wow. information? That's I don't want to know. Never mind. Crowdsourcing web, my friend, off of the dark web. So Ryan sent me this comment today that somebody on one of our videos was like. I just listened to one of your videos for the first time, and I can't believe I just 
listen to such unprofessional, idiotic banter about uh, this. And I perform stand-up comedy. And your thing about Maryland and crab cakes and heroin is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Keep it up, yo. Uh, nice. I was say. That's nice. Yeah, I was definitely, at first, my heart was starting to race a little. Because like, you're like, oh. I know. I know. It's not professional. It's not at oh, all. This is not. No, this is 29 more minutes of unprofessional. So, so there's a reason that, that security professionals, air quotes there, uh, do, um, do these kind of podcasty banter things. It's it's to let off pressure because it's hard being professional all the time. And let's face it. This is a stressful job. I'll never forget. I did a test once. It was a skater here in golf. And, uh, and uh, my my point of contact at the time said, hey, you know, this stuff's air gap. It's no problem. I said, oh, okay, cool. I said, how do you implement the air gap from your wireless network? And he, and he walked, walked me to the back of the building and pulled out the Ethernet cable from the switch. He said, yep, there it is, air gap. We just we plug it in during the day, and we unplug it at night. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, they're safe half the time. <laughs> Sounds like a win-win. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they created an air gap. Only certain hours of the day. So, yeah. So, you know, the definition of an air-gapped network is really just a network with really high latency. You know, I can't take credit for that. I, I got that one from uh, Ed Scotus, a uh, friend of mine. Uh, hi, Ed. Wave to you. You're probably not listening. But uh, really high latency, meaning, you know, the data's going to get there. It might get there <laughs> over sneaker net with a USB, but it'll get there <laughs> one way or the other. How do we think Stuxnet got pulled off, right? This networks with really high latency. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this without the explicit permission of Jason is strictly prohibited. <laughs> strictly like prohibited. That was delivered that really well. Yeah. Watched a lot of NFL football. So yeah. Living for this moment. <laughs> do you think we ought to let John actually do do the talking here? I'm just wondering. No, we got one minute. Don't. He's been talking all morning. I can guarantee it. I, yeah. Solid since what? Nine? I think you Yeah, it's been... I'm actually starting to lose my voice. I'm going to run and grab some coffee and some hot water. Uh, I don't have any lemon juice here. We're fresh out, but I'll I'll be right back. Hey, Jason, you have one minute. Okay, and there's the show. Okay. That was it. uh, There there was the John Strand sliding. Um, We're all uh, very grateful that we've seen him. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us today. This is the Black Hills Information Security webcast. If you ever need a pen test, you know where to find us. But we got John's covering his SOC Essentials information. We have a SOC training class coming up. It's a pay-what-you-want class all the way down from $3.95 to $20. You get to choose what you want to pay for that class, and we'll have the link available on Discord and in a good webinar. But that's not what this is about. This is what John's here for. And John. All right, let's go. And we'll be sharing that link for the pay which you uh, pay which you can. I hate to say pay which you want because like everyone's like, oh, I just want it for free. But I, I like to say pay which you can. And we'll talk more about that and kind of how that works at Black Hills Information Security. And Jason said the low was $20, but you can get it for $0 if you just send us an email. And anyway, we'll, we'll talk about all of that here as we, as we progress. And Jason will get you that link. But... What, what we wanted to set out with, and, and the reason why I decided that this was a good topic, is uh, some of the incidents that we've been working at Black Hills Information Security, we've gotten the opportunity to work with different SOC analysts from different companies. And I don't want to say that they were horrible. That's not true. They're very, very excited. 
committed people. They're involved and they want to really do well. But I've noticed that a lot of them are missing some absolute core key skills whenever it comes to trying to secure, trying to secure the systems or more accurately trying to respond to an incident. And that is the focus of what I'm going to be covering here today. We'll talk about that. And we'll get through it quickly as well. All right, so let's go. So whenever we're looking at your skill set, okay, you don't want to look at your skill set like Jeremy Pop, or not, who put it up? Uh, Selenia popped up the security roadmap. I saw this from Paul a while ago. And it's these crazy information security certifications that are absolutely everywhere. And unfortunately, whenever people are getting started in security, especially junior analysts, they feel the need to actually jump straight in and say, I need to write exploits. Like, we're going to go into exploit dev. Let's do that. Or they say, well, we, we've got to go through and like reverse engineer super advanced malware, and I need Ghidra, or Ghidra and uh, I need Ida Pro, and this is what I'm going to do to do security. Slow down. There's some fundamental skills that are required to be able to do those different things. And ultimately, if you look at anything related to computer security, it boils down to one simple rule. And that one simple rule is that security is a glorified implementation of the basics and the fundamentals. Um, And I see people are asking for the slides. Let me share those really quick. And I'll send that to Jason, and then Jason can post them for everybody, and we are back. All right, so Jason will be posting the slides here in a second. So I want to talk about the core Lego block skills that you absolutely need to have anytime you're going to be trying to do anything associated with being a SOC analyst. Now, if you're an advanced person, I'm sorry, this is a, this is a basic webcast that's pointing people in the right direction of the skills that they need to have to get started, okay? We'll we'll get a little bit more insane as we go. Now, if you want to keep this real simple, really, this game basically has everything that you need to know in the procedure cards. Honestly, it does. And a lot of those concepts in the procedure cards and backdoors and breaches, we're going to be discussing here. And if you're a SOC analyst and you have endpoint analysis skills, you have NetFlow, Zeek analysis. You have the ability to cut through user and entity behavioral analytics. You know how to isolate systems, endpoint protection analysis, server analysis. You're in a really good place, right? Because these are the skills. I, I put them in the game. I didn't put them in the game just because I thought they looked cool. I put them in the game because these are the things that we absolutely must have before an incident occurs. And as part of a SOC analyst, you're doing that, right? You're going through and you're trying to figure out how you can get better at your craft. And Radis brought up, said, I'm advanced in the SOC, but I want better ideas on how to mentor junior people. This game is great. It's absolutely fantastic. Armsmaster said, what game are we referring to? It's called Backdoors and Breaches. So we'll give you out a link on that here in just a couple of seconds. So let's start with server analysis. I'm kind of working backwards from this a little bit, but the server analysis is pretty important because it's one of those things that I honestly feel is missed. So when you get started in computer security, everyone's all about the operating systems, right? Operating systems are cool. We're going to talk about Windows. How do we secure Windows? How do we lock down Windows? How do we lock down Linux? How how do we secure these things? Okay, so a little bit of backstory on that. So years ago, back in 2000, 99 timeframe, those operating systems were Swiss cheese. Like by default, they were bad. 
And there were a bunch of guides that came out. SANS released a hardening guide on how to harden Windows Server 2000 and how to harden Linux, uh, Red Hat Linux, and things like that. And that was necessary back then. Today, many of the operating systems that we have, they come with a lot of the security features locked down by default because they don't want to get in trouble for basically releasing an operating system that is insecure. And the trouble with this is everyone got so focused in trying to lock down operating systems that we still see a lot of people fighting that exact same battle. Like, how do I lock down and secure a Windows system? That's irrelevant. Okay? It is. You keep your Windows systems patched, keep them up to date. Uh, I think there's a remote, that's not a zero day, but the uh, bad neighbors IPv6 DNS uh, vulnerability came out. We're seeing those types of remote exploits are incredibly, incredibly rare. And most of the time, whenever an operating system is exploited, it's exploited through an application or service that's running on that server. So let me explain. So whenever we're looking at servers, uh, key points that we need to be looking at are the processes, users, network connections, open ports, and logs. Now, what's interesting about this is people mistakenly attribute me whenever I say processes, users, network connections, open ports, and logs, they automatically get into that operating system mindset. What processes is this particular application using on the operating system? What users does it have on the operating system? And that's not what I'm talking about. here. Instead, what I'm talking about are what are the processes and services that start up within the application itself? What are the users in the application itself? What are the network connections that this particular application makes? And what open ports does it normally associate with popping it open? So let me give you an example. If we do Apache, right? What are the services? You got the HTTPD process, right? What are the users? What are the user configs? The network connections. You might have lots of inbound network connections, but very few outbound network connections. You can start doing that analysis on that application, on that server that is running. This is different than actually looking at the operating system itself. So we're looking at all these to the server processes. And this also becomes incredibly important when you start looking at cloud security, because these processes, these users, these network connections, these ports, it gets a lot more difficult to cleanly identify them when you're dealing with a cloud-based app. But they are still the same questions that we have to ask about these particular servers as well. So how to learn this? So I wanted to give you some, some tips on how you get started. Hardening guides. Like, this is literally how I got started, right? Whenever I was working in computer security around 99, 2000 at the Department of Interior working with Accenture, the, these hardening guides came out. And I would spend hours going through these hardening guides. And really, in a lot of ways, those hardening guides became the fine manual. And, and I hate that I'm telling you this, like, in a SOC class, that I come, I, you know what, RTFM. But I'm going to be honest. There's some value in that statement. And that's literally how I got started in computer security and learning about different applications. Another dirty trick, this is, this is horrible, but it's true. I do a lot of consulting with companies and they say, well, we're running this particular vendor product and we want to know how to do these following things. John, can you help us? I pull down the user manual, folks. I just go through the user manual and I read it. And when you read a lot of these, a whole bunch of them, 
you learn where you can kind of skip over things like initial install and configuration, blah, 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 blah. We just kind of jump through uh, whatever, whatever. And then they start talking about enabling UEA. They start talking about security groups. They start talking about default passwords. And a tremendous amount of my career is basically reading the manual, going to people who had questions, telling them what was in the manual. And then they go, that's brilliant. My God, how did you know this, John? have the manual, 600 pages, and I went through it 20 minutes before the call looking for your specific question. It was on page 400. Now, I'm not that blunt, but I'm telling you right now, that works wonders. It is absolutely super cool, right? So where can you get these? Uh, Center for Internet Security has a whole bunch of guides. And if you're just getting started, if you're just getting started in, in security, right, and you're just getting started as a SOC analyst, one of the first things I recommend is you find out what are the technologies you're using at your organization. Then you're going to go look at the CIS benchmarks and you're going to download them for free. You're going to read them cover to cover. You're going to go through and run those commands manually on another system. And if you look at this, they have like Amazon Linux, Alelium Linux, Apache Tomcat. If your organization's running Tomcat, yeah, you're going to want to pull down that guide and you want to go through all the relevant sections in the Apache Tomcat hardening guide so that you're familiar with the security relevant settings. Uh, Bind, you're running Bind DNS? Great, there's a guide for that, right? Keep going. You're using Docker? You want to get started? And everyone's like, oh, how do I get started in Docker security? Great, here's a guide. Is it going to be as full-featured and as wonderful as the, uh, as, uh, like, Contox? No. But is it going to help you understand those advanced Contox and help you understand what they're discussing in Black Hat presentations and DEF CON presentations? Yes, it is. So this becomes, if you're thinking about it as a swimming pool, if you're getting started as a SOC analyst and you want to go swimming, if you jump right in, you're going to drown. You're going to drown real fast, right? Like you might get into a meeting and be like, well, I think if we're going to try to secure this system, I think that we need to look at the underlying crypto algorithms because I had a class in college about crypto algorithms. and That makes me sound smart. Everyone's going to look at you like an idiot. You just jumped into the deep end, sunk straight to the bottom, and everyone's laughing at you. Sorry. But if you start working with these guides, they're like putting on your little water wings, starting at the edge of the pool, and starting to go out in a safe way. So what are some other ones? Uh, lots of operating systems in here. Kubernetes. You want to know about K- Kubernetes? Here's a guide. Literally, you stand up a Kubernetes instance, and then you start going through this guide, start running through the commands. This is what you're going to do. Microsoft Azure, great. You want to learn cloud security in Azure? There it is, right there, right? So this is easy. And as a SOC analyst, if you take the initiative and you start cutting through all of these guides, If you're like, okay, in our environment, I know we're running Oracle. I know we're running Apache. I know we're running Kubernetes. And then you read these guides and then you go through and then you basically put tabs on it and you kind of learn these things, read them cover to cover. You're going to become that sock person that's a genius, right? They're like, well, how the hell did John know that? That's amazing. This is it right here. And if you have other guides that aren't in CIS, If you're running vendor products, read those guides too. 
I try to pull down the guides for endpoint security products to learn how to navigate them, what features are available. Do they have the ability to actually interact with the firewall? What level of interaction can they get with the firewall? What do I expect the logs look like? What are the logging fidelity? It's all in the manuals. Read them. Read them. Hey, John. All right. Yeah, go ahead. But isn't that, that, that guide is a little bit of an index to learning, right? Because it's not always going to give everything. So you're going to have to go out and find YouTubes on things or white papers. Oh, yeah. But the guide will actually start as that that base. I don't want to say Rosetta Stone, but it'll actually start as that base understanding. And then you're going to start cross-referencing. And also I've noticed the CIS guides, some, actually almost all of them, they do a great, great job of describing what the setting is, why the setting is important, what the different configurations are. So it's that great kind of Rosetta Stone for learning what those configs mean. Yep, thanks. All right. Did we just bring CIS down? Folks, I just saw somebody pop up and say, anyone else getting server not found on the CIS website? Uh, Yes, we did, John. We just DOSed CIS benchmark. Sorry about that, folks. (laughs) So so take your... Take your time uh, when you're visiting that. It'll it'll come back, I'm sure. So, all right, all 1,315 of you, take your time. You don't have to go right now. Yeah, I, I, what I, I take your time. I, what I did years ago is I downloaded every single benchmark I could get my hands on. I read them all cover to cover. So that's it. So that's the BHIS hug of death, folks. So CIS, you're welcome. All right, let's keep moving. Let's talk about memory forensics. So a couple of the incidents that we've worked at BHIS over the past couple of months, the SOC analysts that we're working with on the other side, they're still very much in this hard drive analysis mode. And that, and that has to do with a whole bunch of security books from years ago that are like, here's how you do hard drive analysis. And, you know, here's how you use autopsy. And look, that's a skill. I'm not going to talk about that skill. It's a skill, but a more important skill is how do you actually do memory analysis to figure out what is going on on a particular computer system? Because a lot of the malware actually like, like now resides in memory. Like, Joff, you're here. Honestly, dude, do you even want to write to disk if you don't have to? Uh, I avoid writing to disk uh, as much as, I, as possible uh, with actual malware. And that, you know, you can get it in memory very many different ways. Disk is is potentially the kiss of death, right? Because that's as soon as you get something on disk, a tool can analyze it and do stuff with it. So we try mm-hmm. to we try to avoid that if possible. So we had uh, we had a customer uh, where we have a customer that we're working with right now, where they had a whole bunch of systems that were compromised, and they're like, "We've got all the hard drive images. Do you want to start going through them?" I'm like, "No, I do not wish to do that. I choose to pass on that activity." And if you're looking at the memory analysis, it's not that hard. Now, the main tool that you're going to use for this is volatility. I doubt we can bring volatilityfoundation.org down, but eh, who knows? The cool thing about volatility it is, is that it is the de facto tool for doing memory analysis, and they have the ability for it to run on Mac, on Windows, on Linux computer systems. It also has the ability to ingest a wide variety of different memory images. So you want to get familiar with this and actually going through and practicing doing memory and an analytics and getting used to looking at those processes, those network connections. I usually recommend starting with network connections and working backwards from there. Now, let's, let's, 
let's get time for real talk with John Strand. Memory analysis is a train wreck, folks. If you get into it and you're basically like, hey, a bunch of these modules don't work, that's normal. That's the way that that usually happens. That's not a bad thing per se, but it's something that you need to be aware of. For example, if you're running volatility on a modern Windows 10 computer system and you run NetScan to look at all the network connections, you're going to see that all of the processes that are Windows processes have nice process IDs and the process names. Hooray! Anything that's not, it gives you a dash. Just says, hey, there's a network connection to port 80 on some site. Who, who's opening that connection? I don't know. What's the process ID? Mm, couldn't help you. It's, it's horrible, all right? But it is what it is. It's one of those phrases that I keep hearing on both sides of the aisles these days. But it's still key for you to be able to look at the memory from a computer system. And there's a number of ways that you can pull the memory. You can dump the memory with tools like WinPMEM. That's great. You can actually go through and you can pull the memory. It's funny. There's a video using memory forensics and security investigations volatility. I actually have a link to that in just a couple of slides. So uh, well done, uh, Hishan XP. Well done. You can pull memory using WinPMEM. You can pull the memory using FTK Imager. And if you're working on a server, you can actually do a snapshot. And you can pull suspended state files and snapshot files. And you can mount those with volatility as well. So it's an amazing utility. It's an amazing group of people behind it. And, and we should all get familiar with it. And if every SOC analyst knew at a core how to take the memory and do some quick analysis with that memory, it would make our jobs so much easier. I also recommend you go learn. Now, this is good news and this is bad news, okay? The good news is there's lots of memory images for you to practice on. Lots. You have Windows XP images, uh, Windows XP images, Windows 7 images, Windows 7 images. Crap. See a theme? There's not a lot of Windows 10 images. And that has a lot to do with what Microsoft did with actually the, the symbolic linking and the, and the mapping tables. They stopped sharing those. And then they started to back up. And they stopped. And then they started to back up. Uh, so Windows 10 is a bit of a nightmare whenever you're trying to do analysis on these things as well. So you have a lot of memory images that you can practice with. They will not be the most up-to-date, but you're going to get to f get familiar with what the tool itself actually does and what the different modules like DLL list, PS list, NetScan, NetStat on some older versions of Windows. You're going to get familiar with these different modules, how they run, and how to actually do an investigation on them as well. Now, I provided a bunch of links here in the slides. So when you're looking at these links, there, there are all kinds of links to webcasts that I've done in the past. There's webcasts to the volatility ones as well. That, that one is in there. That one's in there as well. So I'm giving you links that you can actually start to learn this. Now, some of the stuff is going to be outdated. Like I said, in volatility, if you're running NetStat, it's not going to give you the right data. PS tree may not work on some versions, but that's okay. And, and, and I want to explain why that's okay. Whenever you're doing SOC work, when you're doing anything in security, Knowing the limitations of your tools is one of the most important things that you can learn. And this becomes key, especially if you ever get in front of a judge and a jury. If a tool doesn't behave the way that you expect it to, and you've experimented, you've played with it, you've hit that wall before an investigation that ends up in court, good day for you. That's awesome. Congratulations. If the first time you play with the tool, you run into these problems and you don't understand these problems, you've never seen these problems before, and you're on an investigation that's going to end up in court, that's going to suck. So 
Let's practice with this stuff before we actually get involved with an actual incident. The other thing I would recommend is if you're working in a SOC, and if you're a SOC manager, I guess this is a request for SOC managers, don't overtax your SOC, your SOC analysts, okay? SOC analysts need free, unstructured playtime to work with these tools, to get familiar with these tools and how these tools actually work. So you shouldn't be stocking your SOC and saying, everybody in the SOC is working five-day work weeks. We have the night shifts. We have the weekend shifts. You should probably be staffing at four-day work weeks. And you should be setting it up so SOC analysts can play with memory forensics. They can play with hard drive images. They can create challenges for each other. That's one of the ways that you can actually deal with SOC burnout and make it so it's not as bad of an issue. Almost every organization I've worked with that has massive SOC burnout is pushing every SOC analyst to the absolute limit of what they can do. And we run into this too. BHIS, we're standing up HTOC and SOC services. You know, it's tough standing these things up. It absolutely is. But we need to recognize that burnout and start dealing with it before it actually becomes a catastrophic issue. All right, next thing that every SOC analyst should know is egress traffic analysis. All right, I'm serious. Like, this is so not happening right now, and it so bothers me. Now, you would expect that, right, because of Rita and everything that we've been doing with active countermeasures. We'd be really big into network traffic analysis, and we are. And there's a number of ways that you can get involved, and I wanted to share with you a couple of things that will help you accelerate your SOC career. First one is Zeke, right? Somebody just popped in. You mean there's supposed to be more than one analyst for an entire organization? I am so sorry. But yes, right? All right, so here we go. With this, we, we love Zeke. And the cool thing about Zeke for you as a SOC analyst is it's something you can install at home. It's something that there's lots of resources and training that you can get learning how to use Zeke and the different like Zeke cookbook commands that you can run with has a massive user base, lots of support. It's very consistent. It is amazing, okay? And I talk about it here because your organization should have it. If it doesn't have it, it should be planning on getting it as quickly as possible, right? And I know that some organizations will be like, well, we're going to go with ExtraHop, we're going to go with Darktrace. I, I, I think that that's neat, but I think the team needs to have a basic understanding of like packet captures and Zeek before they jump into those products. And this is kind of an endemic problem. And I know that this makes me sound old, but one of the big problems we have in the industry today is clouds. I like to yell at clouds. Clouds are a problem. An old man yells at clouds. But the big problem is we're buying a lot of products. And these products are hyper advanced. But the people that are running the products don't know how the products work. In far too many socks, the only training that they give their analysts is how to use like Sentinel-1, Cyber Reason, Silence, Carbon Black. They don't actually teach people how to do stuff at the core operating system level. They get, they get, uh, they get Fortinet or they're running Palo Alto or they're running all these different tools and utilities on the network side and they don't understand basics of packets and how network connections work. That's jumping way too far ahead and it's going to really hobble you as a SOC analyst if you're running super awesome network tool and you don't know what that tool is actually doing. So Zeek is a great way to get started. So egress traffic analysis, how would you do that? Full PCAP. I recommend getting started doing analysis with full PCAP. You're going to have to deal with it at some point in your career. The more you have this skill, like capturing packet captures, 
and sharing packet captures via things like SSH? How do you deal with very large packet captures that are broken into hundreds of different files? These are problems that you're going to encounter because your tools will take you so far. And then you basically, somebody just said, how do you get a SOC analyst job without understanding basics of networking? Right now, we are so understaffed in this industry, security, BAE, AC, that we, we're literally pulling people that can you know, spell cyber and they're getting thrown into jobs. And I, I think in a lot of ways, we're doing a tremendous disservice to them. And by the way, we have free network threat hunting training. If you want to learn the basics and fundamentals of some of the network stuff that we're talking about, it's free. So, so check it out. So learning how to deal with PCAPs and learning how to deal with full packet analysis using things like TCP dump is going to be huge. Wireshark, all of those tools for anybody that is a SOC analyst, key, absolutely. And for me, working with firms, I, I'm spending a lot of time in the incidents that we're doing at BHIS. I'm spending a lot of time walking people through how to create a basic packet capture. Spending a lot of time walking people through, like, I'm like, oh, well, here's all the domains that were resolved. And people will say, how did you do that? I'm like, that's just Wireshark. It's this right here in statistics. And they're like, ooh, black magic. It's not. And somehow there's a disconnect for people coming in and they're not learning these core skills. And I know that there's some intro to security classes that are out there that don't teach these things. Like they'll teach you, spend a whole day on crypto. Why the hell do we need a whole day on crypto? They're not teaching the right skills off the gate. They're trying to teach skills that were important a decade ago. So we need to get better at some of these core skills. So the next one is Security Onion. And I saw this one uh, scroll by. And and Magula brought up, please learn uh, Berkeley Packet Filter as well. And absolutely correct. Magula is right on, right on, right on key. And we'll talk about where you can get some resources learning how to do these filters. And one of them is the, uh, um, one of them is the training that we do for network threat hunting as well. So Security Onion is another great distribution by Doug Burks and the team. And what's really, really, really cool is you can download it and run it for free. You can run it at home. And you're going to learn all kinds of skills by running this, right? You're going to learn Kibana. You're going to learn how to do Elk queries. You're going to learn uh, Saracata. You're going to learn Snort. You're going to learn all of these different tools. And what's cool about everything in Security Onion is everything you learn in Security Onion is actually transferable to other tools. And what you're going to find, unfortunately, is you're going to find that you're going to be able to do something in Security Onion, and then you're going to go to Commercial Tool X, and you're going to be like, what is this? I, I can't do what I can do with Security Onion. And that's frustrating, right? That, that is very, very frustrating. So this is a way for you to develop the core skills that are transferred, but you're also going to run into, you're going to run into times where it's, you're going to have limitations, right? The, the commercial tool won't do everything that you want to do under the hood. But that's cool because if you're a SOC analyst and you get into a situation where you've pushed the limits of what a tool can do, and now you're dropping down and you're using BroCut or you're using Zeek or you're carving through a PCAP, that's where people were popping it up. It's like, uh, oh, are you a wizard? Absolutely. It's absolutely something you want to be in that quote-unquote wizard category that many people just aren't familiar with. And that's fun, right? We can actually do that. I just lost my Discord channel. There it is. Um, We can actually do that, and we can get good, and we can get good at home doing this on a home network. And by the way, we had an entire webcast 
on building a home network with full packet capture. We can get that up for you. So I've given you a couple of links. Both of them are from Active Countermeasures. And I want to share with you kind of what we've been doing at Active Countermeasures over the past couple of months, actually. So one of the things that we've been doing is we have a ton of different blogs on you know, monitoring one gig connections. But the big things I want you to look at are malware of the day. So we have tons of malware of the day packet samples that you can play with. Now, a lot of these are generated with cobalt strikes, malleable C2 profiles. And we generate these, we give you where the profile actually exists. And then we give you analysis with AI Hunter because that's the product we sell. But then we also give you the analysis with three tools like Rita. We give you the packet capture files so that you can practice going through and doing this analysis on these malware specimens in a safe fashion. And the the samples are relatively small. And this is actually fairly close to what you do as a SOC analyst. If you have a workstation you think is compromised, you're going to fire up a packet capture and you're going to look at that packet capture of that particular malware specimen as well. The other link on here is the one that's our video blogs. Chris and Bill and myself and Keith and Ethan we do a lot of free videos for getting people caught up to date with um, T-Shark and how to do network threat hunting, data exfiltration and detecting it with a single command. And then we also have our training classes that we're doing for free. Basically, we're bending over backwards, folks, to try to get it to the point where these core fundamentally skill, fundamental skills are available and accessible to everybody. I've talked about this quite a bit. I'm sick and tired of entry-level gates in this industry, where if you want to get into security, you have to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on an intro security class. That's garbage. I've had it. I'm done. I'm over it. And that's why Chris and I, who have trained for years, we're spending a lot of time and effort doing free training classes. So that's why our intro to SOC class is pay what you want or pay what you can. That's why our intro to threat hunting class is free. That's why our intro to security class is free. The core fundamentals shouldn't cost anything at all. So next up, I, I'm not going to do the whole rant, uh, paranoid nerd. We're not, we're not going to do that whole thing, right? So the next thing is like dealing with logs. Logs are hard, okay? They're really, really, really difficult when you're looking at trying to get started in security and you're trying to do SOC analysis and you're trying to understand what's going on on Windows event logs, I am sorry. There is no easy way to do this if you're not capturing the right logs. Like if you're just looking at standard Windows event log security application and system logs, you're host. Uh, you're, you're not. You're not going to have a good day at all. If you start getting into, if you start, if you start getting into Sysmon, then you're starting to get the proper logs. And those things we will actually talk about in the intro class, and we talk about in a lot more detail in the SOC class as well. But here's the problem. There's no log that says you've been hacked. There's no 666 event log, right? I'm in Sysmon. Yep, again, just say yes, make it happen. And if you look at an example, and I always use this example, and I've used it for years, if you go in and you change the security policy on a system, it never says John Strand changed the security policy. What it says is John Strand invoked privileged use and system changed the system, the security policy. That's crazy. Like, why would it be that hard? You got to like piece a whole bunch of logs together to figure out what's going on. Also, whenever we're looking at the Verizon data breach reports, less than 5% of the DTECs in organizations, whenever they detect that they've been compromised, are actually coming from logs. 
So we're getting into huge problems with percentages. And yeah, like Linux logs, not much better. Bash logging, awesome. Turn it on on every system that you have. It's, it's great. All right, so what about user and entity behavioral analytics? Well, that's getting us better, but still, as a SOC analyst, I, I have this slide that talks about uh, false positives here in a second. And I, I sit down with SOC teams, and they're like, yeah, our UEBA, it's, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's just crazy. There's too many false positives. And when I sit down and I look at what's going on, they're not false positives. Like they're actual real things that are happening, like system accounts doing what system accounts do. But I, I think that a lot of people think that there's a lot of false positives because they feel uncomfortable with what it is telling them. And they feel uncomfortable actually filtering the quote unquote false positives out. So if we're looking at the behavior of attacks, it requires us to have a better understanding of Active Directory and how these things communicate with each other, like internal password spray. So Logon Tracer is a cool tool for playing. It, it's, not, it's really not a great tool for running an enterprise of 100,000, just 100,000 nodes, but it'll at least get you uh, like up to date on what types of things UEBA can detect. Like you can see one system that is authenticating to literally hundreds of other computers. That's important. As a SOC analyst, you want to be able to pull down that information and you want to be able to see that, right? And the key event IDs, if you're a SOC analyst, start here. And, and the reason why I started with these is these are the key ones that are used in log on trace. These are also the key event IDs that are used whenever you're using a commercial UEBA. These are the main ones that are used for detecting lateral movement attacks. So, and it's not even all six, right? The big ones you should be looking at are six, uh, 4624, log on successful, 4625, log on failure, 4768, Kerberos request, and then 4769, Kerberos service ticket request. You, you should know those, those four event IDs and read the TechNet articles on them and learn what they mean. Because whenever you're trying to troubleshoot a UEBA or trying to tr troubleshoot a log analysis tool and it's doing detection on an environment, these are the absolute core event IDs that you need to know. There's other event IDs that are important. Don't, don't get me wrong. There are. But these are the main ones that are going to tell you the vast majority of lateral movement and like post-exploitation attack techniques that are going to happen. So start here, right? And now, once again, we have a long class, two days that we're going to be talking about all these different things. But at a core, you need to understand these things because regardless of whatever tool you're using, you're going to constantly coming back on this again and again and again and again. So I just saw this pop up. You know, we had a reference that just basically popped up. Uh, Tavis basically said, we disagree on this. SMS two-factor authentication is harmful. That's one of the things where I disagree with him, just because two-factor is better than no two-factor. We can argue about what two-factor is best, but yeah, if you have the chance to have it, yeah, that's, that's something. It's better than, you know, having standard password. And here I am. I might as well just start disagreeing with Bruce Schneier as well. Let's just disagree. I'll just disagree with all of the InfoSec luminaries. Just ride this all the way into the dirt. So let's talk about false positives. So false positives, <laughs> this is horrible. They're not a thing, okay? And people's heads start exploding, right? And I, I talk to a lot of teams, and they're like, oh, there's so many false positives. There are so many false positives. And... <laughs> And I, I say this, and they get all controversial. We're going to fight. Let's do it. Or a geek fight. Right? Whatever. But 
when you're looking at every damn security tool that has ever come down the pipe, every one of them needs to be tuned. Okay. We have a customer. We just got done doing a pen test with this customer. Joff did it. And uh, the customer pushed our team hard. Pushed the team very, very hard. But they had instrumented and tuned their endpoint security product well beyond what the vendor does out of the box. Why? Because the defaults didn't work to stop advanced adversaries. If you look at firewalls, almost all firewalls out of the box, they let a tremendous amount of traffic go through and they do just basic signature detection. That's it. Why? Because the spice must flow. So when you're looking at tools that have quote unquote low false positives, that's not what you should be worried about. You shouldn't be worried about false positives in the dead of the night, waking up being like, oh God, there's a lot of false positives. You should be terrified of false negatives. And your job as a security analyst, your job as a SOC analyst is going to be going through and is going to be going through and tuning these products. Is it hard? Well, yes. Does it take time? Absolutely. Will it make you an InfoSec Tyrannosaurus Rex? Yes. Because if you look at anybody that's good, anyone, like you start at Chris Brenton, you, you move to Rob Lee, you talk about you know, Seth Meisner, Eric Conrad, uh, even Joff, who does offensive stuff. Back in the day, whenever he was doing defense at the university, and then he was working with another consulting firm who shall not be named, all of these people, they all have a common story that they tell about going through and filtering through their logs and creating different scripts to filter through their logs and doing different regular expressions to filter through their logs. And they became amazing at what they did. Once again, did it suck? Yeah. Was it hard? Absolutely. Were they all false positives? No, they're not. Whenever you have a system account or a service account that's triggering it, it's triggering it for a damn reason. You can go through, analyze it, say, yes, this is in fact triggering multiple logons to multiple different systems. I expect this behavior. Now I'm going to create a filter and then I'm going to keep going. And then you work through it. This is hard, right? It, it is usually a problem of tuning. It is usually a problem of understanding the network. And at the end of the day, this is our job. I'm so happy that Ingenuity got my reference to Predator. All right. I have some links here for some different websites that you can look at. Uh, we have Elk and we have YouTube videos. Tons of things available for you. So check these out. I saw some people. I think it's kind of funny. And there's some people that are new to our webcasts. They're like, oh, my God, they're giving out all the so many links. I'm getting overwhelmed. Welcome. <laughs> that's the way that's the way our webcasts grow. Uh, go. So Deb, Deb, the Deb is sharing out all the links. All right. Now let's talk about endpoint analysis. I struggled with this one a little bit. Just because it's more on the endpoint security analysis, because if you're trying to get into the SOC industry and you don't have silence, you don't have carbon black, how the hell are you going to get a job if you've never used any of those products? And uh, there's some amazing things that are actually available to you. So let's start with the basics. One, I, I can't recommend the stuff that Eric Conrad and Seth Meisner release enough. They are two of the finest SANS instructors on the face of the planet. You should go follow them on Twitter. You should take their classes. And they're not only just great instructors, they're just all around great people. And Eric Conrad released this tool called Deep Blue CLI. So what... Deep Blue CLI does, you feed in event logs where PowerShell logging is enabled, 
and it will go through and automatically detect a wide variety of different attacks. It's great for a SOC analyst, especially if you can enable PowerShell and command line logging on your workstations, because it's going to kick that SOC analyst up further ahead of the curve for detecting evil on that computer system. So please, please, please check it out. It's amazing. Deep White CLI is basically taking Sysmon event logs and then doing the same type of analysis. So if you're a uh, if you're a SOC analyst just getting started, you should absolutely be two tools that are in your chest, two quick tools that you can run with. However, those tools aside, you also need to learn the SANS cheat sheets. I'd recommend you learn the Linux cheat sheet and the Windows IR cheat sheets, and you need to learn them cold. You need to be learning, you know, you know, task list space forward slash SVC, task list space forward slash M, task list space forward slash M and a DLL. You need to be learning WMIC process list full, WMIC QFE list full. You need to be able like, WMIC uh, get last start, uh, startup time. Like you need to learn these things and you need to learn them not necessarily cold, but you need to be very, very, very good at as many things on these cheat sheets as you can possibly get. Once again, a lot of SOC analysts at this particular point, they start to get bogged down because this is a lot of crap, right? And they're like, you know what? It's just easier, man. If I just, I just learn Sentinel-1 or Carbon Black and then I'm good at that. That's good enough. No, it's not. <laughs> Sorry. Almost all the incidents that we're working right now as part of the IR stuff, like I'm working on one right now with Jay Ham, Jonathan Ham will be doing some training and stuff with us in the near future. And he's amazing, by the way. He's one of those absolutely outstanding instructors. And yeah, those get us in the ballpark, but it's, it's, it's part of the reason why this webcast came about is there's times where Jonathan and I roll up our sleeves and we dive into the command line, we dive into packet captures, and then the SOC analysts that we're working with and the customer are just like, what is this black magic? And it's not, it's not black magic. It isn't. It's some basics and fundamentals. And we need to get better at this stuff. So you can pull down these, these SANS cheat sheets and you can go with them. And then I've got the links here. Windows command line research results, ultimate list of SANS cheat sheets, and then some YouTube videos on initial analysis on a Windows computer system. So you've got a lot of links that you can work with as well. Now, as I said, this section was kind of hard, right? Because if you're just getting started in security and you've never worked with an advanced EDR, many times it is required that you have some experience with an advanced EDR product. And the problem with advanced EDR products up until recently, they you couldn't get them at home, but now we're starting to see some home versions, but still that costs money. So what's really, really cool is we've got to take a step back and we've got to understand that all of this is part of overlapping fields of view. And for you as a SOC analyst, your goal is to get good in as many of these different field areas as you possibly can. Now, let's spend a couple of moments and let's talk about what this sets you up for. If you're good at AVEDR, you're good at NSM, you're good at UEBA, and you're good at SIM, and you're good at analyzing the endpoint, and you're a solid, good, young SOC analyst or an older SOC analyst, and you develop these core skills, you're going to develop a path. Either your path is going to move to incident response and forensics. That's where, you know, SOC analyst jobs usually don't pay that well. I'm sorry. I apologize. They just don't. They're usually looked at as entry-level jobs. But if you want to progress beyond it, then you can move into forensics. That pays really well. 
you can progress beyond it and you can get into IR and that pays really well if you advance DDR. If you advance and you can also move into pen testing because if you learn these things and you develop this foundation, it opens up career opportunities to you that normally wouldn't exist if you just popped out of college and you're like, I'm going to be a pen tester. I got a degree. That's rare, folks. We have a couple of them at BHIS. It's rare for you to pop straight out of college and go into pen testing. It's rare for you to pop out of college and go straight out into forensics. It's very, very, very difficult. So all of these things matter as your core. But when you're looking at these advanced EDR products, you need to understand that yet again, there are weaknesses. So MITRE has done the MITRE attack evaluations where they've gone through and they've evaluated a whole bunch of EDR products and endpoint security products. And every single one of them had gaps. Every single one of them had weaknesses. And I'm I'm putting this in here in the SOC analyst class so that you as a SOC analyst or you that's bringing on junior SOC analysts, you need to break people of the thought that these tools are invaluable, that these tools will always detect everything that these tools will detect any type of malware that's on the system. That is not the case. And this evaluations actually demonstrates that very clearly that these tools do miss things from time to time. And if we work with that, that idea that there is a blind spot, the blind spot exists, and we're going to try to work around that blind spot by looking at multiple different types of tools and overlapping visibility, folks, you're starting to get to the point where you're a fine SOC analyst and you have some really, really cool things that you can All right. Now, to play at home, how do you do this? Well, for many of you, going out and purchasing an advanced EDR is out of the question. It's just not going to happen. But there's tools out there like BlueSpot. BlueSpot is out of a University of of Virginia. I can't remember if it's Virginia Tech or Virginia University of Virginia. And I don't, somebody will correct me and they'll pull down the link. But BlueSpot is an open source EDR product that has a lot of really solid coverage with the MITRE ATT&CK technique matrix. So it is absolutely amazing for you. And then Elastic Endpoint, that's right. I forgot, Elastic Endpoint is now free as well. So if you're trying to get in as a SOC analyst, as SOC analyst, you now have tools like Elastic, you have BlueSpawn, where you can start playing with these tools, playing with tools like Red Canary, playing with tools like Caldera, and you can play with them at home. So now on your resume, you can start putting in, these are the tools that I know. Tora just asked for SIM skills. Would it be proficient just learning open source ELK or an example be enough? Do you recommend learning a commercial product like Splunk or Greylog? Actually, I recommend that you learn Sigma. And let me explain why. So the reason why I recommend Sigma is Sigma is a generic format of event logging, and then you can write the rules in Sigma language, and then the rules are automatically cross-portable to like all the major sims. So you can basically write a rule, and then you can basically convert it to Splunk. You can then convert it to Elastic. You can then convert it into Logarithm. Um, you can convert it into a bunch of other different types of platforms. So this really allows you to develop that one kind of ring to rule them all. We are learning this core signature language that then allows you to port your, 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 your rules over to other formats as well. There you go. 
So with BlueSpawn and Elastic, you now have the ability to start doing analysis of attacks on your system. You now can go for a job and you can they say, well, do you have any experience with EDR? Yes, I do. I have experience with Elastic. I have experience with BlueSpawn. What did you do? Well, I fired up BlueSpawn and then I ran Red Canary, Atomic Red Team, and I was able to detect the attacks. I learned that is going to put you at the very tippy top of that list of candidates that are coming through as well. All right, let's talk about lateral movement. So just a standard exploit, I've used this slide set quite a bit, but when you're looking at standard exploits, this is how most people focus on IR. They focus on, all right, well, one system's compromised, I get to do forensics on that system. No. If you're talking about a SOC analyst, you now have to look at that lateral movement. And this requires you to understand protocols like PSExec, pass the token, R desktop, pass the hash, WMIC, Windows RM. There's a ton of them that you have to be familiar with because these are common protocols and these are common techniques that attackers are going to use to move laterally. And if you're not aware of these techniques, like we're working a, we're working a gig, the customer has no idea what SMB is but one of their compromised systems is making thousands of SMB connections to other systems in the environment, all of a sudden we've lost that kind of conversational fabric that is required to keep us together so we can talk the same thing. So you have to be familiar with these different things to kind of tie it together. So I'm, I'm certain that I'm missing some protocols, but Joff helped me out. I know I'm missing some. I've got SMB, PSExec, WMI, RDP, WinRM, Microsoft Kerberos, Landman NTLM, and NTLM V2. Would there be any other protocols that you would recommend here? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I think you hit just about um, uh, all of them. Uh, DC, oh, you have to because that, that goes along with SMB. But, but you, yeah, yeah, John really hit it. You know, one of the, uh, one of the very interesting things, I'll relate a quick story. I was just on an engagement and uh, doing some uh, password spraying, which is a technique to guess passwords. And uh, I used Kerberos instead of a traditional SMB login. And so Windows of NID 4771 became actually really interesting to them that they hadn't seen before because it was a Kerberos pre-authentication failure. Yeah. So, but yes, John's right on target. I think he hit them all. PSExec's not really a protocol more, more than it is sort of a methodology. But yeah, WMI, do not forget WMI because that is something that a lot of people overlook and it's really important to, to get your head into WMI. It tends to be not as well instrumented in logging in environments and there I go giving away some of the secrets, right? So nope, that's fine. <laughs> we have we have some people that are talking about like SSH. We very rarely see post exploitation on Windows computer systems where they pivot with SSH. It happens. But it, it wouldn't be nearly as much as you would see these particular protocols. We'll, then we'll, try to like, use normal, we'll try to use normal protocols in the environment, right? So SMB and IDP will be two really big things because we look like regular users in the environment when we use those protocols. Every um, time. It's, it's, it's much nicer to blend in than it is to stand out. Every time. Every time. All right. So if you want to get started with this and kind of breaking down these things, what they look like. And you're like, well, what does it mean when John says, know these tools? Well, let me show you what it means to know these tools. So, all right. So JPCERT went through these different tools and these different protocols. And they basically are like, okay, PSExec. 
overview of what PS Exec is, the operating systems, the communication protocols and ports that it's going to use. What do you get from the logs? What do you get for standard event logs? What do you get for Sysmon event logs? So you're really learning like prefetch shows up in prefetch, right? What are the registry keys? The destination system, what does it look like on the destination system? So you get the opportunity to not just sit there and be like, okay, I'm going to fire up Wireshark, I'm going to read a blog. They actually have already done a lot of that work for you. Now, I don't require you to like be able to rattle this crap off. Like, I want the RFC for PS Exec and SMB. It's like, that's, yeah, that's stupid. But if you can say, well, wait a minute, I've got this website that I go to that has all this information, it breaks it down for me. Can I check it out? Hell yeah. 90% of what we're doing at BHIS is literally Googling crap and going to, you know, going to a bunch of different websites and just copying and pasting as much as we possibly can. It's not so much you knowing stuff like trivia, but it's more in line of, do you at least have awareness of it? And then where you can get that information to dig deeper, that's going to become absolutely critical as well. All right. So vulnerability management, I didn't. Okay. So whenever I asked, is vulnerability management something that SOC analysts do? It's split 50-50. 50 percent of the people said no 50 percent of the people said yes so i figured we're just gonna we're gonna leave it right here right so we can just go through it all right so low and informational blind spots are critical and this is a basic section for sock analysts and the sock analysts that i've encountered recently that are doing like vulnerability management they're doing it the wrong way they're going through and they're starting with the highs and the criticals and those are the only things they take care of and they ignore everything else They're breaking things up constantly by IP address, and that doesn't work, right? It just doesn't work at all. And further, they spend a lot of time on this, right? And if you look at the MITRE ATT&CK technique matrix, two squares out of all of them are addressable by like vulnerability management. Like you get that traditional, this is a CVE. So we want to set the right amount of time, and we want to be able to set it up in such a way that we can get the maximum bang for a buck. So here's the wrong way. Many organizations address vulnerabilities by the IP addresses. They're going to go through and they're going to break them up and they're going to go each IP address one at a time. This is daunting. So if you have a thousand IP addresses, 25 vulnerabilities, you're going to try to address 25,000 vulnerabilities. The hell with that. No one wants to do that. Ain't no one got time for that. We aren't going to deal with that at all. It's the most common approach that I see and it's wrong. Like you just shouldn't do it this way. Instead, stop focusing on IP addresses and range and instead focus on the vulnerabilities. So instead of 25,000 vulnerabilities, you're really looking at like a few hundred vulnerabilities spread across multiple systems. What I mean is you're going to have systems that have the exact same vulnerability. And as a SOC analyst, you got to ask yourself, how do we address these vulnerabilities globally across all of our different systems? How do we use that as automation? This is incredibly effective. And, you know, we've talked about IONS faculty and also at BHIS. We've scanned a million IP addresses and we're able to get through that in less than three weeks. That, that's because we use this technology or technique. We take the technique of taking the vulnerability and working backwards. And that's because that same vulnerability be replicated across hundreds, if not thousands of computer systems as well. Very quickly, I wanted to talk about threat emulation. We're coming down to the end of this. I wanted to deal with this InfoSec burnout problem in SOC. And I really think one of the things we should be doing and one of the things we're going to be doing at BHIS's uh, SOC and HTOC is threat emulation and, and adversarial simulation. 
and our customer environments. The reason why you want to be doing this is you want to make sure that your tools work. You want to make sure that your analysis and your EDR is picking up the different attack vectors, that your network security monitoring is picking up that command and control and that lateral movement. So you need to get into the the habit of running tools like Caldera as a SOC analyst. This should be something you run at work all the time. We can run things like Atomic Red Team. You know, set this up and run it. We're going to have some webcasts. Darren is uh, Darren and Carrie are going to be offering a class on how to use Atomic Red Team to maximum effect for adversarial simulation. You need to be doing this. And this goes back to on that off day, quote unquote off day, your SOC analyst should be running these tools. They should be running and seeing how it reacts on their EDR. They should be making sure that the alerts actually show up on the sim. We're constantly testing, constantly evaluating and making sure that stuff works. This puts you into a position of an active SOC. And this is just a run of what Red Canary looks like. All right, things that are hard, though. Things that I can't seem to teach. I, I have a really hard time teaching people to keep digging. Just to keep digging. If you get stuck, keep going, right? Ping port parse. Basic troubleshooting. Can you ping the IP address? Is the port open? And then can you parse any error messages or can you parse the command? This is basic fundamentals. Fighting burnout sucks. Especially here in 2020, I think everybody is burnt out, right? I know a lot of people that love their jobs and they're just tired. I'm tired today. This is my third presentation out of five. Like we have a lot of stuff going on in this industry. Never get stuck. Pivot. This is kind of correlated to digging, but it's just constantly pivoting and moving and thinking about things in different ways. But you're only going to be able to move and think in different ways based on the exposure that you have had in the past. And a lot of the things from the network, a lot of the stuff that we talked about on the hosts, a lot of things we've discussed here, this will give you greater visibility and greater understanding of how you can pivot. Also, let me Google that. It's very, very, very hard where you have people that ask questions constantly that are easily Googleable. As a SOC analyst, you need to be able to Google these things. If you come to your management with a question and they Google it and it's literally the first answer, that's not cool, folks. That's not cool. I guess the last point, I can't teach you drive. I just can't. You know, it was, as a SANS instructor for years, we're always trying to inspire people. Many people didn't realize this, but a lot of SANS is not about teaching core skills but it's kind of this edutainment to get people fired up and excited about doing their job. And then using that drive that we hope we can give them to come back and then hit the books and learn stuff. Technical things, folks, tend to be very, very, very dry. You have to have that, that fire in your belly to be able to actually go and actually do this stuff and to do it well. And I hope, honestly, you can get that. Burnout is real, but you got to push through it. You got to find that thing. That, 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 that star that's going to be your guiding point that's going to pull you through this. Because right now, this year sucks. It does. It's just a bad year. Incidents are getting worse. Ransomware is getting worse. We're not even going to talk about politics, but let's just say a flaming dumpster fire of a train wreck doesn't quite sum it up. But we still have to wake up every morning and we have to find that drive. And here's the thing. And I, I give a longer version of this speech. If you don't have that drive, I, I, I recommend you go out and you find that thing that gets you excited. It could be 
could be construction. It could be underwater basket weaving. Go find that thing that you have that passion for and do that thing. And the reason why is there's a lot of people out there that have that drive, that are looking for that opportunity to get into this field, that are looking for that opportunity to move up, and they should get their shot to do that. And I'm not, and I say this not to like make people mad and basically say, oh, well, I don't like you or anything like that. But I'm a firm believer in finding that thing that you're excited about and doing that thing. And there's a lot of people that are excited about getting into security. All right. So architecture, remember that overlapping fields of visibility and try to start thinking in terms of this type of like defense in depth architecture. With that, we've gone over. I just want to say thank you so much for coming. I hope to see you in the intro to SOC class. As we said, it's, it's pay what you can. And if you send us, if you, if you can't pay, there's no shame. And we had to make like the base to be $20 because we had a crap ton of people that offered to pay nothing and they didn't show up. A whole bunch of people didn't show up. And, and that's okay. But if you're somebody that's just getting started, if you're working as a side job, if you're washing dishes, if you're bussing tables, but you're probably not right now. If you're out of work, well, the only thing we ask is that you send us an email. That's all. I, you know, I'd like you to put something in it about yourself. I don't want you to explain why you can't pay. I would much rather know where you're coming from and where you want to go. That's the only thing I'm asking. Like in exchange for taking this class for free, I just want to know where you come from and where you're going. I don't want to hear why you can't pay because I trust you. And I know people are going to take advantage and I don't care. For those of you that are looking at this like, well, people are going to take advantage of that. They're going to get it for free. I don't care, folks. It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is where'd you come from and where do you want to go? And hopefully we can get you there. So thank you so much, everybody. Get out of here. I have another presentation starting up in just about 10 minutes and we'll do a quick 10 minute post-show banter and then we'll, we'll, we'll get out of here. So, oh my gosh. So, Jason, how are you doing? Yeah. So, I had a migraine about four minutes into the webcast, and I started going blind. And then uh, while I was blind, like, Deb took over a bunch of stuff, and then I had my vision back. So, here we are. Uh, it's been one heck of an hour. But, yeah. Uh, no. right, you're feeling better now, though? I am. Like, it's been – I went on a journey while you were taking people on a journey. It's been good. All right. All right. So I posted the link inside the GoToWebinar chat for the SOC class. Feel free to go in there. Deb has said she's already gotten about 20 emails. She's sending out those discount codes to the people who are emailing us. And yes. The other thing I wanted to tell people is that if you are in college or university or high school and you have a computer club, I'm going to post a link inside Discord for you to request five decks and backdoors and breaches for your team, your club. And uh, we should all say thanks to Deb because she's answering all these emails with the discount code. We should set up a separate email address that we can set an out of office reply that just gives people the discount code. But I know Deb's going through and reading the stuff, but it matters to me, by the way. It it does, because I hope to get to read some of these. It does matter to me where you're coming from and where you're going. All right. Questions? I know. I now get to go do a presentation on artificial intelligence and machine learning. Wow. So uh, that should be fun, John. Oh, it should be cool. I get to talk about ping pong balls and tables and blind theories and 
uh, decision trees and all that stuff. It's going to be awesome. The, the, the fun part is when you can actually uh, train the uh, neural network or the decision tree to make the wrong decision. That's that's the funnest oh. part of all. <laughs> oh, Joff, you, you know that's where we're going in this presentation, right? Oh, like, absolutely. Oh, my God, I just <laughs> gave it away. <laughs> no, no, it's another Ions gig That's that, that we've got to do. So, Well, I'm going to drop off. You guys can have some post show banner, but I recommend not to. Jason, like, goes and lays down. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that doesn't sound good. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Take care, everybody. Yeah.